Hi there, and welcome to the Talking Local Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Cronin, and in this podcast, we'll be talking to marketing leaders in all kinds of industries, from food and beverage, to franchising and charity, automotive, hospitality, retail, and beyond. The thing all these sectors have in common? They all operate through local partners, and that can bring certain challenges, but also significant opportunities. It's all about harnessing the power of your local partners to work together, bringing your brand to life locally, increasing sales, driving engagement and building consistency. So sit back and enjoy. I'm very excited to welcome you all to our second Talking Local podcast. Today, we're going to be talking with experts Paul and Richard about successful local brand implementation and activation for charities. We'll be discussing, amongst other things, the value of local marketing for charities and then how to deliver it consistently and effectively across your charity's decentralised local partners. Today, we should give you some ideas on immersing your local partners in your brand, engaging them as an extension of your marketing team, helping them do more marketing by making it much easier, and finally, using your marketing to engage local audiences and communities. So let's start off today by introducing uh, the panel uh, and the current marketing trends that they're seeing in the charity sector. So from my perspective, our business, we are Acuity, have been supporting brands that operate across multiple decentralized locations for well over 20 years. And what we've seen across a number of sectors uh, during the pandemic is this rapid digitization of, of many sectors. And what we've seen as we've come out of it is a much more blended world that gets the benefits of physical uh, and virtual. So coming to you, Paul, Paul Brown, uh, first of all, would you like to give us an intro and give us a bit of perspective on what you're seeing? Yes. Hi, Peter. Great to be here today. Um, My name is Paul Brown. I'm a charity marketing and communication specialist. I had the the real privilege of spending 20 years in two of the UK's biggest charity brands. So one was the Prince's Trust the charity set up by the King to support disadvantaged young people. And I did a 17 year stint there. More recently, I was at Teenage Cancer Trust, which is an amazing charity that helps young people who've been diagnosed with cancer. Earlier this year, um, I went freelance. So I've now got my own independent communications business, Paul Brown Communications. In terms of trends, I'm not sure it's a trend as such, but I think what's more important than ever is relevance. It's always been really important for organizations to demonstrate their relevance. but the context we're operating in seems to have shifted. Things are moving so rapidly in the outside world that continuing to be relevant is actually a race to keep going for charities, whether that's two or three years ago when charities were trying to establish their relevance during the early days of the pandemic, to right now when charities are trying to find out if they've got an authentic voice on the cost of living crisis. So cutting through all of that clutter of 400,000 charities to demonstrate that your cause is relevant nationally and locally in people's lives, I think is the absolute priority for every organization. Fantastic. That is, uh, yeah, that makes a lot of uh, a lot of sense to me. Um, Richard uh, Evans, can you give us a, a bit of an update from your perspective? Yes, thanks, Peter. So um, I've been uh, in the 
corporate sector, probably for about uh, half of my career with uh, big multinationals like um, Shell and uh, Total Oil in a variety of uh, marketing and comms roles, um, but have spent most of the last 20 years um, in large charities uh, such as uh, Oxfam and a couple of long stints at uh, St John Ambulance, where I am um, at the moment. Um, and uh, I really echo actually what um, Paul was uh, Paul was saying. I think um, if we were sitting here pre-pandemic, we would have been talking about the power of having a strong purpose in the messaging and campaigns and possibly actually how the corporate sector is now starting to recognise the power of that really strong purpose and replicate that, uh, which is quite interesting, uh, certainly from my perspective, having come from the corporate sector to the charity sector, seeing the corporate sector starting to actually pick up some of the things that the, 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 some, uh, some of the best practice in the charity sector. Um, we definitely saw those organisations that had really strong digital capability flourish during the pandemic um, but it's what the pun pendulum has swung back the other way and it's now very much about a uh, a mixture um, of channels uh, in a way that it wasn't um, and it's that speed of how to react how to keep relevant um, and how to keep the message personalized to the uh, to the individual recipient when everything uh, about them is changing so quickly Excellent. That's great, Richard. And I mean, in, in your particular instance, working with St. John Ambulance, obviously they've got a couple of elements of their business. They've got the, the fundraising side of things, but they've also very much got the commercial arm with uh, training and products and that kind of stuff. Does that does does that that gives does that give you a broader perspective in the in relation to the charity sector or is that more common than than it, people might think? So there are many large charities that have got uh, quite considerable um, commercial uh, operations. We, we see them day in, day out on the high street. Um, so the big charity brands with extensive um, uh, charity shops, for example, uh, working as working as retailers. In, in the case of St John, uh, we have a workplace training business and we're the market leader in workplace first aid training, um, mental health first aid training, um, uh, and uh, and we also do what I describe as relatively low level um, sort of health and safety, so fire training, that sort of, you know, that sort of thing. And what is an incredible advantage to us is the power of the brand, because what we have is a nationally recognised brand. So everybody knows who we are. Everybody knows um, what we stand for around first aid, which is incredibly powerful. We saw some real advantages for the brand through the pandemic, just because we were so intrinsic to the nation's response um, and the support that we gave to the health service. Uh, for example, recruiting 30,000 volunteer vaccinators um, to be out across the, across the country gave our, our brand a real boost. And that has also helped our commercial um, operation, which is, effectively a, a social enterprise we're, we're um training people to save uh, to save lives but we're doing it in a workplace context that that funds um the charity and again we have definitely seen 
real advantages from being digitally enabled during the um, during the pandemic. Uh, the amount of uh, the, the sort of reach and engagement and conversion numbers that we're getting for our digital channels go up and are now well ahead of pre of pre pandemic. Um, and that is a very strong, uh, very strong trend for us. Um, but we're also seeing that people want to connect with more than digital, to see us face to face, um, to actually speak to people, to have tangible things that they um, that they can hold in their hands. Uh, and so uh, I think having been through a period where that has been hard to experience as an, as, as, as an individual, um, it, it's, it's not a marketing um, thing per se, but as you might expect, our, our blended training um, uh, take up went up considerably during during pandemic, um, and then after pandemic is plateaued and settled back down to a lower level, higher still than pre-pandemic. But people want to be out seeing seeing other people um, meeting face to face. Okay, that's excellent. And um, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I suppose for St John you have. Uh, a mixture as far as that sort of local audience. So um, on the charity side, I'm guessing you've got uh, local fundraisers and, and real advocates uh, uh, of the brand. And then on the commercial side, you've got your training centres. Um, and I, I guess, you know, how you manage those two different local audiences is perhaps very much part of the, 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 the challenge, really, as, as far as what their wants and needs are. Uh, that's absolutely right, and in fact, the organisation has has recognised that it is. Um, uh, how can I put this? Um, the, the infrastructure is challenged uh, to do that because, as an organisation, we haven't hitherto had the level of investment to join those audiences up and fully realise the benefits um, that are possible through sort of true um, sort of CRM and by, by that I mean actually the managing the relationship as opposed to it being a piece of a piece of software. So actually we're making quite a um, significant investment at the current time in, in the charity to actually uh, start to get better crossover between our data, better understanding of those nuances of those behaviours and better needs, um, uh, sort of meeting the needs of those um, uh, of, of those audiences, because there's an element where we've done it before, but we're now seeing the, the, the real imperative to actually invest in that for the future. Okay, so Paul, coming over to you, um, Prince's Trust, how does that operate? Because to be honest, it's a it's an absolutely well-known name, but I, I don't really, you know, ha have a good understanding of behind the scenes and how it operates. And I think the Princess Trust is a really good example of a really big national charity that absolutely operates at grassroots level. So they have a strong head office in London that looks after the corporate functions. But the programmes that change the lives of individual young people are based in community centres, and in football clubs right across the United Kingdom. So really the power of the brand, the fundraising machine they have there, the communications, the advocacy, and the back office functions come from the head office, um, but the action takes place on the ground. They also have a network of Prince's Trust centres in communities across the UK, from Birmingham to Belfast, 
And, and so those tentacles that reach into the community are the only way that you're going to make contact with the young people who really need the help most. But that's made more possible by a strong brand that works at a national level. Fantastic. Well, that's a lovely segue onto the onto the next section, really, which is how can charity brands successfully maintain local consistency? So I, I know from my time uh, working uh, with St. John Ambulance um, and and this is speaking candidly, so hopefully this isn't the wrong thing to say. But I, I from my experience, Richard, that your um, uh, those that are your advocates of the charity are in some ways can be a bit of a blessing and a curse because often, um, you know, they're your most staunch supporters, but sometimes they might have their own interpretation of you as a charity and what you're aiming to do. And that might be slightly different from the the sort of the corporate vision. How, how do you how do you manage that sort of thing in making sure that they are delivering what you as St. John Ambulance want to deliver? Yeah, I think that that's a really uh, it, it's a really good point. Um, and charities such as St John have an absolutely wonderful sort of volunteer base uh, who are committed, um, are one are wonderful people. They make a huge impact in their local um, in in their local communities. Um, but St John for them if you like, is wrapped around their local community and within an organisation with the diversity of what St John does. So we're, we're a youth organisation, um, we're an ambulance uh, organisation, uh, we'll be at your local events, whether it's you know Manchester United football or the local church or um, school, uh, school fate. Uh, we're a major training organization across the country, both commercially and, um, and, and for social reasons. We run things like homeless projects um, to uh, uh, look after the clinical needs of, um, uh, of, of homeless people in, in various places. So, so it, you know, an incredible, incredible breadth. And so each group have a subtly different experience of St. John. And while they're they're pulled together um, at the at the highest levels by a common purpose, that purpose then splits down um, quite rapidly into different in, into different purposes. And I, I suppose the best example I can give is one from my from from my Oxfam days, where the Oxfam network of shops was there to provide income to support the program overseas, whereas there were people in the Oxfam shops for whom their raison d'etre for being there was to support disadvantaged people in this country through selling them cheap secondhand clothing. So subtle difference as to as to what the expectations were and therefore what the messages um, that you that you you could get and the conflict that you can get. And there is there is no easy there is no easy answer. Um, it requires a lot of legwork, a lot of communication, some very key messages that that you have for the organisation, but but broken down in a way that that your local volunteers can can understand and feels feel relevant to them. And then having done that, then you start to have some sort of practical tools in terms of how you can then start to uh you start to project that uh, whether that's using you know, sort of pre-made templates and design that um that materials can be put onto um whether uh, there are things that actually come almost ready baked from the center but can be then replicated 
um, for the 80% of content that is the same across uh, across the country. The trick there is not to make them so um, sort of, if you like, kind of menu driven that it kind of feels like a script and then you start to lose something that I think Paul was talking about or referring to a bit earlier about you start to lose that authenticity of voice. Mm, yes, I, 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 as you say, there's, I guess there's two elements around that consistency. One is the the brand in its in its visual side of things, and obviously there are lots of uh, tools that can be put in place that can support with that. As you say, platforms for them to access, you know, local materials and and adapt stuff, um, uh, as well as you know pre-providing stuff. But then it's that tone of voice which is quite a difficult thing because that can be sort of quite nuanced. But I suppose having these things high on the agenda is a significant kind of step in recognising that. How, how did you find that, Paul, in, 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 from your perspective? Yeah, I think Richard made a really important point that that shared sense of purpose in a charity is often what unites everybody in the organisation. And that's something that many corporate organisations have and many are trying to build. But I think in a charity that has a strong sense of purpose, where you're all setting out to solve a problem and make the world a better place, it builds a culture where there's mutual respect for what the different parts of the organisation are doing. So a head office function can build a strong brand, but it is the local delivery people that have that contact locally. And that understanding of the role each other plays, I think, is, is crucial. So if somebody in a local delivery centre creates their own poster with the dreaded Comic Sans, they've done it with a, with a positive intent. They're trying to solve a problem locally. And if they don't feel they can get the tool and support from their head office, they're going to do it themselves. So I think building that recognition and understanding of how the centre can help the people on the front line, I think people increasingly are, are, are taking a more joined up approach and, and, and actually achieving more of their shared purpose by working well together. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. I mean, we've over the last 20 years, we've we've gone on something of a journey and probably in the early days um, across various sectors, it was very much brand police. And if anyone stepped out of line, you hit them with a big stick. And I'm delighted to say that we've gone through that phase because it just doesn't work. And as you say, if somebody at a local branch is trying to create something, that is a flag that there is something that they need, something that's missing. And if they're missing it, then there's a very good chance that other people across your network are also going to need very similar kind of things. So it's far better to engage and nurture that than to try and stop it from happening. Yeah, and just understanding the problem that people are trying to solve. And I think it's partly about systems and processes. And obviously, there are some great platforms that people can use to manage templates and assets. But I would say culture is equally, if not more important, people understanding they've got a role to play. And by doing the right thing and working together, they can achieve more for their beneficiaries. OK. And I think... Um, I was just going to say on, on, on this point, it can also go across charities as well. So if we take the example of the 2.6 challenge, which was a way to help support charities um, at the end of pandemic and give them a chance to start to raise funds again where they were um, challenged in terms of their their finances, uh, it actually was set up very quickly and provided multiple charities with a toolkit um, and the resources 
and a way to actually get uh, involved and actually kickstart that fundraising again. So I think it it's it, it also relevant for you know a wide range of charities, not just the big ones that can. Uh, that, that can afford to um, fund this and and run this themselves. There's, you know, some signs that perhaps there's a there's a more collaborative approach across the uh, across the sector that everybody can can buy into, um, and provides a both a sort of a focus and a, and a, and a platform to um, uh, to develop. Mm. And I, I guess from the from the outside, I suppose that is another thing is that the 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 average um punter the average individual um doesn't necessarily see the world in exactly the same way as you charities might do and it can be quite confusing um the various different entities that would appear to be doing quite similar things and how everybody kind of fits together um and i again i think i think even in the in the early stages and you've you've made huge steps forward on this richard there was perhaps internally there was a bit of a um, with a charity and with the commercial side of things at St John's and for us coming into it at those early stages we didn't actually even understand that there was differences um, you know because to most people that you they just see your logo and what your brand stands for. Absolutely and and, and I guess it, it's you know when you're starting to talk about large charities like St John with operating divisions just as a corporate you can have a different flavor within those uh, operating divisions but of course across the breadth of what a charity is doing it gets you know it gets quite diverse and that uh, does come back then to the message really one of the key things is is harnessing both the power of the of the message and the purpose um, but also uh, personalization and making your message keenly um, focused on the individuals that that you're wanting to um, to reach, and I know uh, Peter, you know you're uh, uh, aware of because you you did the work for us um, a, a few years ago, where we had a brand campaign which was around learning first aid to be the difference between a life lost or life saved, and by taking those key brand messages into the local um, community and making that applicable for our workplace training business, what we were able to do was to make that very relevant to the local area um, where we were looking to attract people to come forward for um, for training. So we were able to take the statistics that we had nationally and broken down and look at the number of injuries and fatalities in people's home areas where first aid could have made the difference between a life lost and a life saved and that becomes a lot more personal to you as a as a as an individual you know that there's a big problem because you can you can come up with a very big number nationally but actually if you're saying something that's far more targeted that actually this happened to so many people in your particular area in for example Hereford and Worcester um, then that makes that relevant to you and relevant to your local community and so what what we were able to do was to was to capture that that um, sort of local relevance for a really strong call to action. Mm, because you know in such a, a sort of a, a noisy world that we live in these days it's I guess it's very hard to get that cut through there's 
various stats that you know you've got three seconds or whatever to capture something somebody's attention so having something that they kind of connect with makes that message that much more sticky and i i guess things like the national lottery and and stuff i i always felt like part of their success was people could relate to what they were doing in local communities with funding and and things like that what what's your perspective on it paul from 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 uh, you know how do you improve the relevancy of, of of a charity in a community well the thing is that charities are intrinsically complicated organizations and they have multiple products and multiple meanings to different audiences so if you take Teenage Cancer Trust, where I spent three fantastic years, one of their points of connection is the nurses they fund that are sat at a bedside with a family at the point a teenager is diagnosed with cancer. And at that moment, that charity is embodied by that nurse at that bedside at that crucial moment. But to raise the funds to pay for that nurse, they have a week of shows at the Royal Albert Hall, where Ed Sheeran might be performing. And the touch point in the experience of a guest at the Royal Albert Hall is going to be fundamentally very different. Now, what unites those is the brand of the organisation, which I think Teenage Cancer Trust does brilliantly. Um, but it's making sure at those touch points, the organisation communicates in a way that's relevant to the people experiencing the charity at that time. And I think having that consciousness that a complicated organisation has very different roles to fulfil, and the tone it takes at that moment is, is just so life-changingly important. Yes, absolutely. So, um, I mean, the, ne the next um, area we were going to discuss really was what, where is that line between brand and, and local partner? And I guess it, it varies from, from sector to sector. Sometimes, I guess, if it, it comes, you know, if you're looking at sort of products, the brand might ha have a quite a different tone of voice, be, be more official, whereas the retailer could be more human. Does you know, do, do you have a perspective, Paul, on whether there's sort of any difference? Do you give an opportunity for those local uh, sort of advocates of your charity to have a voice? And how does that sit against the overall national charity? What I've seen work brilliantly is when the delivery teams have got connections with service users so they can talk about relevant locations. Um, they've got family stories they can tell based in the hospital that people in that community will be familiar with. Even things like photography is crucially important. If you try to communicate with a rural community with the picture of a tower block in London, it is going to be an instant turn off to people. They don't recognise that as the backdrop to their lives. Mm. So that local intelligence, the authenticity of delivering to families in local communities is absolute gold dust. Um, but when that's backed up by a powerful national brand with credibility, purpose and a real track record of delivery, then that, I think, is, is gold dust. And you need the two things working in a really, really strong symbiotic relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Richard, um, well, you've you've kind of touched on this, haven't you, in, in how we brought to, to, to life um, things like first aid training and stuff like that in local communities. Um, I guess one of the challenges is how do you how do you capture that that gold that you're talking about paul because i think you know sometimes with some businesses it can be that the the central marketing function is uh you know could be criticized for perhaps being in an ivory tower and sometimes the network is you know what what do you know about what we do we're out here at the coal face and sometimes that can create a barrier between two groups of people that are that are actually trying to achieve the same things but they're just becomes a little bit them and us. What, what would you say on, on, on that, Richard? 
Yeah, so I think the first thing is I, I you know, I recognise the tendency for that for that to happen. Um, and the first thing I'd say is that where it can go wrong for an organisation is around that disconnect and where you lose authenticity. Now, these days, that is very, very starkly shown um, on social media because where you have supporters and volunteers who are active on social media and posting alongside the corporate posts that are going on, if there's a dissonance between those two positions, um, and I'm not talking about the, you know, the the odd message here and here, here and there, which um, you know might be intemperate or, or or not so well considered, because that's bound to happen, and that is almost part of the authenticity of of what you're providing. If you have all of your people being all of the all all of the time being happy on social media, um, then you kind of know it's being it's being controlled. Um, but there has to be that link, and so what I see is that there's a really strong link around this around internal communications. So the key bit is that the internal communications is working so that the people in the centre of the organisation have a really good sense of what's going on in on the ground because you have that two-way communication and it's not about um, I think uh, you mentioned the, uh, the the brand police Peter and mm. um, I, I'm, I'm sort of not above saying that uh, you know that I haven't sat in that role in the past and uh, been through that learning mis learning um, journey where um, actively making some of those mistakes in terms of you know getting the nuances right so so the key bit is is how well your internal comms are working so that the organization sounds cohesive because there is uh, there is an agreement around the purpose of the organisations we've spoken about, um, but also what the organisation is actually talking about sort of resonates with its own people as well as with the public that it's trying to reach. Absolutely. I get and I guess I guess that's why the, you know, the the digitization of our world has 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 brought so many opportunities for this for for bringing people closer together because I mean, I can't imagine what it was like, I don't know, 50 years ago where you'd have to send out a letter or something like this to all of your different branches to inform them. Whereas now, you know, we can use uh, we can use Facebook, we can use WhatsApp. There's all sorts of clever tech that can not only speed up that communication, but change the tone of it as well. Um, the, the nuances of how you speak to them and, and giving them a feeling of being an extension of your central uh, 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 head office is is equally important. Uh, what, what's your perspective, Paul? Yeah, obviously technology speeds everything up, but is that always a good thing? One of the things I often speak with teams about when we're about to launch a campaign is exactly that point Richard makes. Have we done the internal communications right? And stakeholders, 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 have we mapped out what our trustees need to know, what our ambassadors need to know, taking that moment to plan all those different audiences so we can land this campaign coherently and in a joined up way across the country, I think is so important. And sometimes messages are so quick and easy, apparently, to get out on multiple channels. Sometimes you do a little bit um, of an injustice to yourself by going too quickly. Yes, so almost like a tick box exercise. We've done that. Yeah, absolutely. We see that. I mean, we do see that over over and over again, that sometimes that disconnect between, I guess, in commercial operations, what the what the sales 
uh, team are looking for and then what they're expecting, you know, marketing to to get out there as quickly as possible, really. Um, I guess you see that, Richard, on the, perhaps on the sort of side of products and things like that when you're, you know, got to sell a certain number of defibrillators and these kind of things. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, that I think is one of the reasons for the investment that St John's making at the moment is to be able to better target and understand where the opportunities are for us across across the across the data that we've got and being able to be more targeted around our audiences we are quite um you know we are quite targeted in the way that we um that we do with our do our marketing but uh you know if you took at the range of um communications that we're putting out as an organization uh whether it's about um encouraging uh organizations to purchase defibrillators and and the training to go with them to the work that our volunteers are um doing in vaccination centers to what we're doing as a youth organization if you received all of that as a, as one person you would be very confused uh, and somewhat over and, and somewhat overwhelmed um so it is really important that 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 targeting and and segmentation is done uh is done really well okay fantastic and i mean i'm conscious we're probably coming up to about the half hour but i think we've got a i think we're we're in the in the middle of a couple of things that are worth carrying on for, for for another five minutes if that's sort of okay so I mean so far we've talked an awful lot about um, you know the added value that that relevancy brings to uh, to charities and about how we're trying to bring your local partners together with you so that you're working um, cohesively that I guess one of the sort of the, the challenges is you know how do you do that how do you make that whole thing more uh, efficient and and also I guess how do you measure the success of that stuff how do you know um because because potentially some of your local partners are not going to be um the most savvy from a marketing perspective they might not be the most sort of uh, digitally mature in their perspective so how do you how do you support that how do you make it easier for them and how do you make sure that the the efforts that you are making are effective and you're getting sort of some sort of measurement back meaning you're optimizing things but paul do you do you fancy having a go at that yeah it's a really good question actually because evaluating and demonstrating the impact of a charity is a common issue shared across many organizations in the sector so there may be things the marketing team can measure in terms of the reach engagement of social media the column inches generated they're all useful to know and a general trend upwards is obviously a positive thing but is that getting young people onto a program in a community center in bradford joining the dots between the brand activity and what's happening locally is very difficult to demonstrate and I think lots of organizations really struggle with that. So I think by finding out an approach to measuring what really matters in an organization, um, I think that engenders that collective spirit of being all in this together. And again, that mutual respect and understanding of what works best at a head office level and what works locally. Because the truth is, a young person going into a community center may have seen a national TV ad. They may have read an inspirational story on the local newspaper. The last step might be a, a tap on the shoulder that says, what are you doing next Wednesday? Come and join this amazing programme. They've all got a role to play. And if they join up with a coherent message between them, you've got the maximum chance of changing somebody's life, which is probably what most charities want to do. 
Fantastic. Yeah. Richard, what's your feeling on that? Yeah. So I think Paul puts his finger on it that, uh, when he says, you know, effectively, there can be many touch points um, and it's very difficult to actually measure which of the touch points that are um, sort of giving the nudge um, for that, um, you know, for, for that to take place. Um, you know, there are things obviously with with kind of digital engagement and and so on where you can start to you can start to measure things um, in the charity world it can often be easier to measure outputs than outcomes so we our output is this but actually what was the you know what was the impact of that that gets to be that gets to be quite difficult but one of the things that I just wanted to kind of surface was where you were saying about how to take a group of people who this is not necessarily um, their sort of natural focus and how do you infuse them and take them forward and get them to be measuring uh, or, or having a sense of, of, of what they're doing and it has a sense of value and, and one of the things that uh, St John is doing at the moment through the internal comms team is using Yammer and we have a um, a number of a number of different things where we're really trying to celebrate those that those bits of success so all the way through the chain whether it's um you know w whether it's somebody who's done something fantastic in Solihull St John Ambulance Division or whether it's somebody um in the central safeguarding team who's done something great that's called out and that's celebrated and people say thank you and that and that's great so you then start to build that community who um, are sharing that that purpose, and I think that has relevance in the in the commercial sector as well, because it starts to take a group of um, you know relatively disparate, what could be relatively disparate um, small businesses and see that they've got a shared experience and actually somebody else is trying this and it's really uh, and, yes. and it's really working and i suppose you know just to reverse that back into the commercial world i spent some time um sort of working with the subway network the fast food company in in, in europe and essentially what that you know every subway is a small business or a a business with a chain of uh, a chain of subways um rather than actually being operated with subway themselves so how do you get people one of the one of the issues that um uh, the the people with the loyalty card in that particular area when i was working there which is a good few years ago now was actually convincing the local businesses all of the local businesses that the that the loyalty card made sense and of course, as a consumer proposition, it doesn't work um, if uh, uh, if if you can use it here, but you can't use it here because you expect those brand attributes um, everywhere. And I, and I kind of think back to that and think, well, if if you if you got the community, yes, communications internal or sort of you know semi internal comms working well, that path would have been considerably smoothed because you in real time you'd be getting the successes coming back from your peers and that becomes really convincing absolutely and I, I mean obviously this is a podcast so you can't see i've got a huge smile on my face because the the the, the great thing about doing this and and doing a deep dive into different sectors is you actually realize that the challenges are absolutely universal wherever you are and 
in some of the other sectors that we work with, we have exactly that problem. How do we ed educate those local partners to realise that they're part of one overall community with one objective instead of seeing the, the, the next branch as their biggest competitor that they are almost competing against, really? Um, and I guess, I mean, I love the idea of, of Yammer and, and, and perhaps for those um, who, who aren't aware, Yammer, I guess, is a is a collective sort of communication tool that builds a, a community for your business where they can share best practice and celebrate success and that kind of thing. Is that right, Richard, how you're using it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's used as an internal channel and but it's available to all St. John people. So we spoke about breaking down some of those barriers um, between um, you know, different groups within the organization, whether you're paid people, whether you're volunteers, whether you're uh, with a youth focus, whether you're um, with uh, an events focus uh, or so on and so forth. Um, and it allows that conversation to, that, to flow um, and that perspective of what the organization stands for to get a bit wider as well. Absolutely fantastic. Excellent. Well, I think we'll probably be finishing up now. I'm sure we could talk uh, for, for a lot longer, but um, uh, we want to uh, allow uh, listeners to carry on with their, their day or their evening or, or uh, wherever they are. So I think just as a, as a final sort of point, my, I mean, my outtakes um, were um, uh, you utilising your, your local partners to increase the relevancy of your messaging and those insights that they are able to bring to your marketing, which you just would find very difficult to do from head office. Uh, the, the next one is bringing everybody together so that they feel like a community that are working together as, as one team. And finally, having those sort of objectives as far as what it is that you want to achieve out of this. And as you're saying in charity, it, it's easy to measure outputs and harder to measure outcomes. And, and I would say that that is probably very similar across a lot of sectors in that we've done this, this and this. But what did we achieve? Oh, that's a lot harder to attribute that. So, um, I mean, I don't know if you guys have got anything, anything further on that. You're happy with, with that outtake? Just on that last point, I I doubt John Lewis can track the sale of a toaster back to their Christmas ad, but I imagine their Christmas campaign is a great unifier in the organisation and mobilises them all behind the bottom line. And so these are issues across all organisations, but the main point for me is how do you make your service or product relevant to me in this moment in time? Wonderful, wonderful. Richard, any, any last uh, thoughts? Actually, I'd, I'd love to have a pithy last statement, but I haven't got one. I think uh, I, I think you've both uh, covered it really well. So thank you. Fantastic. Excellent. OK, well, thank you so much for your time today. And um, yeah, um, yeah, thanks for, for getting involved. And um, I'm sure we'll speak again soon. I mean, Paul, as a, as a, a communications expert in charity, um, yourself and, and us, uh, if there's charities out there that are looking to have a conversation around this area, then, you know, reach out to us. And um, we'd be more than happy, I'm sure, to have a conversation with anyone. Absolutely. Thanks, Peter. Excellent. All right. Thank you, Richard. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Talking Local Marketing Podcast. You can find more on Spotify, iTunes and Google. If you'd like to find out more about how to activate your brand with local audiences, get in touch. Just Google We Are Acuity.